Gonna need this because I'm crying already. Father, forgive our land. Forgive our nation. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. As difficult as a message like this is to prepare and to give think it's necessary. Some of the things that you've seen up there, you already know. Some of the things, most of the things that I share with you this morning, you'll already know. I'll share some things with you this morning that I didn't know until I was researching this week. And you say, Pastor, you're preaching to the choir. We know what the truth is. But if we truly did and truly took it to heart, would we As a nation, would this still be happening in our nation? Luke chapter 1, verse 41 says, And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Down to verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. John the Baptist, in the womb, knew when he was in the presence of God in the womb. Read a few of the other verses. In fact, I I didn't realize it, or I didn't remember it. I watched the video earlier in the week, but... um, most of the verses in my introduction are, were right at the end of that video. Jeremiah 1.5, and, and you can just listen if you want. I will flip quick, quickly and read them again. Before Jeremiah 1.5, before I was formed in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet in the nations. And as, as it shared at the end of the video, and, and I, I know you've never heard it from this pulpit before, but God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for every life. That's why he gives it. Psalm 139 that, that Dan read for us. Psalm 
For thou didst form my inward parts. You did weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them, just as we were sharing about Don Eggleston a little bit ago. We know, we know that, that God knows our days before the, before, before the foundations of the world were laid. And just in, in, in that verse there, I know it was one of those uh, cute little quips that we said in Bible college, probably high school too, because it was around the era of the late 70s, early 80s. But it was, you know, the, the big thing then was to have self-esteem. And they wrote books about Christians and why we should have self-esteem. But the little line that we said was, God don't make no junk. Okay? God don't make no junk. He has a reason for everything he does. A very specific reason, a very specific plan for you, for me, for each one of us. Who makes babies? God does. And I've already got an idea for, for next year's sermon on Sanctity of Life Sunday is to go through to go through all the examples in the scriptures that, that talk about when God opened the womb and closed the womb and why and when there was faith and when there wasn't faith. Write that down for me, honey, before I forget that, please. <laughs> Conception does not occur without God's blessing. God has his hand in every signal pregnancy around the world wherever you are, whatever the circumstances are, good or bad, in love or not done in love, God's hand is in every single conception. And one of the coolest things that, and and they, they alluded to it quickly, and I don't know if everybody was able to read all those words. Sometimes they're difficult with the background and color, and that's why I turned the lights off. But before the egg is even implanted into the wall of the mother's uterus, it has already been determined by the DNA whether it's going to be a little boy or a little girl. That's a miracle. What did I do with my oh, I left my water back there? Don, would you grab my water for me, please? I left it on that table back there when I went back there. But God don't make no junk. He has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. Back just a couple pages in Psalm 127. It can't be any more clear. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of men's youth, of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Pretty simple, pretty plain, pretty clear. Children are a gift of the Lord. Someone has said that when you touch an unborn child, you touch the very handiwork of God. We know the surgeries have been done by babies still in the womb when when there's defects or they they can detect. And of course, there's the famous picture. I I didn't get it to Stephen to get it up in time this morning, but of of the little baby gripping, the reaching out while still in the womb, reaching out and gripping the, the finger of the doctor's hand that's performing surgery on him. I don't think it's up for debate or any question. We know when life begins. Generally, you would, you would uh, think that there are five groups of people that, that might be here this morning. And in, in a congregation this size, maybe we don't have one of each group here. But one group would be those that are pro-life. That know and understand and realize what God says about it. There might be someone here that's undecided about whether abortion's right or wrong. If that's the case, I hope God's Word and, and His Holy Spirit will open your eyes and you'll understand today. And that you can be firmly on the pro-life camp. There's those that are pro-choice. They believe that it's a woman's right. It's her body. She can do with it what she wants. She obviously did if she's pregnant. But to those that are are pro-choice or might be, that they might even listen to this on the internet. It's my prayer that you would hear God's word and that His Holy Spirit would convict you If you don't change your mind today to the pro-life position, we won't be angry with you. We won't hate you. We just want you to understand God's Word and the truth of what life is and who gives it. There might be someone here this morning that's had an abortion. This is, this is the hardest group to address. And a lot of what I'm going to tell you this morning, you, you, you don't even need to hear because you understand, you already know what abortion is about. You know the truth about abortion. If you had an abortion, we love you. God loves you and wants to forgive you. If, he, if you haven't already gone to Him, He wants to forgive you. He loves you. He always has and He always will. Because you too are a piece of His handiwork. And then if there's any, and, and I don't, 
believe we have anybody pregnant here today. I don't know, but if we do, if, if there might be one that might be considering abortion, please listen. Please open your heart and your ears to the Word of God and know that He has a plan for you. He has a plan for your baby. He loves you. We love you. And we, through Him, because of His love for us, want to do what we can do to help you. So if you are in that situation, speak up. Let us help you. We need to be ready to help those that that are considering that. Some of this is is new. Some of it will be just numbers. But I, I do want to throw a few things at you real quick. If you take the population of Georgia, man, sorry, Michigan, Virginia, Nebraska, Nevada, Iowa, South Dakota, then add in the populations of Rhode Island, Arizona, Oregon, Kansas, Vermont, Mississippi, and then add in the populations of Alaska and Pennsylvania, we have totally wiped them out. We have totally wiped them out since 1973. 62 million. Gone. Vanished. We killed them. Every state in the Union had laws against abortion in 1973. By a 7-2 vote, the United States Supreme Court dumped them all on their ears. One of the most egregious abuses of the Supreme Court ever. $1.3 million a year. 3,600 a day, 150 per hour, every hour of every day since that decision was made. Every single day, we've murdered 150 babies in this country. The total Americans killed and wounded, not just killed, but wounded. Wars, including the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, the War on Terrorism. Wounded and dead, just over 2.6 million. In all of our wars for our freedom, 2.6 million Americans have died and been wounded to defend our country. That's 25 abortions for every single death and wound in our wars. 
And yeah, we'll all forget the numbers when we leave here today, but I hope you won't forget the impact that it's had on our country. It's become a moneymaker. Some abortion clinics provide free limo service to and from. And this is, this is the part that kicks me here. Should I say another part? Most states have no informed consent law, no parental consent law, no spousal, spousal consent law, and no mandatory waiting period. There's a mandatory waiting period to buy a gun in most states. Abortion is completely legal in America today. A 14-year-old girl cannot buy cigarettes or alcohol or attend an R-rated movie. In many of the parts, she can't even get her ears pierced without her mother's permission. But she can have an abortion without any parental guidance or direction. There are quotas in the oceans on the number of whales and porpoises that can be killed. But not on human life. It's always open season on unborn babies. If you destroy the egg of a bald eagle, you can be fined $5,000. But if you destroy an unborn baby, you can make $500. The most dangerous place in America is not in some high-rise ghetto in an inner city. It's inside a mother's womb. You have a one in five chance of not making it out alive. Don't know why God hasn't destroyed our country yet. Open God's words with me, if you would, to Mar- excuse me, Matthew chapter eighteen. Matthew chapter 18, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? One commentator said that it's just amazing that these guys have been spending a couple years with Jesus and they're still, that they still even have this kind of thought. Can't get rid of human nature. But I would bet any one of us in their same boat would be right where they are and saying exactly what they're saying. Who of us is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and he said before them and, and set the child before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
whosoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the man through whom those stumbling blocks come. And if you, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it out from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled and lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, throw it from you, for it is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. You know, when I was in Cuba with PR, one of the churches on a Sunday morning, they wanted PR to do a baby dedication. They say babies are a true indicator and, and can sense something about adults, whether they're safe or not safe. We say the same thing about dogs. Dog comes up and wants you to to rub behind its ears or how, how quickly that dog will roll over and want a belly rub from you is, is how quickly and how much that dog trusts you. There's no fear. If they're gonna, if they're gonna make themselves that vulnerable, they've got complete trust in you. In this child, we, we don't know, but it doesn't indicate or seem to be that there is any problem with this child going to Jesus without any hesitation. But of course, PR was doing this baby dedication in Cuba and mom warned him baby hadn't been feeling too good. (laughs) Right before mom was ready to hand PR the baby, of course, the baby was in desperate need of a diaper change. So mom, mom took care of that and, and gave the baby to PR and there were some more problems. But PR made it through, bless his heart, made it through the baby dedication. But the baby went willingly to PR. And in this case, in, in Matthew, not, not comparing PR to Jesus, don't get me wrong, but PR was an individual person that this child felt safe with. They know, they understand things that is, is just boggles our minds. But in verse 2 of Matthew 18, this child, he, he called the child to himself and he set the child before them. The child didn't balk. The t- child knew that Jesus was a safe space. I think of an opportunity when Beth and I were in South Africa with my daughter on a missions adventure and missions trip. We were actually in Swaziland 
which is a country about the size of the UP inside of South Africa. But inside the, all, the, all the schools that the mission sponsored, they, they would be fenced in. Anything inside that fence was safe. Anything outside, not so much. And I remember we, we were in the, the time we were there, mostly we were in the city, but one day they, they took us out into the rural, rural, okay? Rural, way out of the city. And the, they opened the gate, the van of, of the, there was about 21 of us parents, I believe, on the trip, and we were at different sites, but several of us were, were going to this one, and as I got out of the van, most everybody was on the other side, but I got out on this side for whatever reason, don't remember why, but this little girl came running around the end of that van and jumped up into my arms. She didn't even look me in the face. She just came flying up into my arms because inside she knew it was safe. To think that when that little girl would go safe to her family, to relatives, for that little girl it was not a safe place to go home. <laughs> that little girl clung to me for a half hour. I tried to get rid of her, and you go, Pastor, that's nasty. I tried to get rid of her, but only so I could pick up another one, okay? And after a half hour, I was finally able to peel her off. I didn't want to, but I knew that there were others that needed love too. This child trusted Jesus and came right to him. The disciples just asked, God, Christ, who, who is the greatest in your kingdom? Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now children, and, and those of you that are teachers have probably experienced this, but, but children that, that have had a good opportunity of life, where, where they're in a loving home, not a perfect home because those don't exist, but in a loving home. There's a difference between them and a, and a child in a home that's where the child has been abused. Emotionally, sexually, physically, whatever. Maybe, maybe abused to the, to the effect of the, that there's just not food to eat. There's just not clothing. There's just not basic care being given. But remember that as parents, as grandparents, and as people in our community, when we have the opportunity to reach out, and when we touch one of these lives, we're touching God's handiwork. Children that come from a, a safe environment where love is, is given... have the opportunity to, to trust people. They haven't been given the reason to not trust. And so they will trust, they will have faith in you as you reach out and, and touch their life. That they will have faith in you, they'll, they'll, they'll be safe, they'll feel comfortable being nearer with you. Jesus says we need to humble ourselves like that. 
to enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as a child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Makes me think of one of our kids' songs. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you got to be the servant of all. And they took it right from this verse. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you got to be the servant of all. You don't need to be demanding of your rights. You don't need to focus on yourself. Again, we go back to Philippians 2, where it says, putting, where it talks about Jesus Christ humbling himself and becoming obedient unto death. A couple of verses before in that chapter, it talks about how we need to esteem one another more than ourselves. We need to put other people before us. Not always thinking everything is about me, because it's not. It's not about me. It's about Him. And everything in our life should be about Him. Any of us living a perfect life? No. I raise my hand too. But it ought to be about Him. We need to humble ourselves, not worry. We, we know that the greatest in God's kingdom is going to be God, and that's all that matters. God Himself is the greatest in His kingdom. And the sooner we figure out and realize that and worship Him as such, the better off and the more blessings we'll have in our lives. So if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to be the servant of all. Whoa, it's a good thing you're all sitting down for verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Flip over a couple chapters to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 verse 36. Let me back up a verse to 35. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you or naked and clothe you? And when did you, when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So it's not just the children, but it's, it's adults as we see those in need. It's as though we are doing it directly to Christ. We are doing it directly for Him. Verse eight, Back to chapter 18, verse 5, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And if you look on the opposite side of that, the, opposite, the negative side of that, if we do not receive the children, we do not receive Him. Woe unto the one that does not. Verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, 
It is better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depths of the sea. I think I would rather burn in a fire than drowned. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't, neither one is, is going to be any fun or would, would, would be. But I, I just can't imagine drowning. And, and the millstone to be hung around your neck is a, is a guarantee of drowning. Millstone was something that the, the farmers used to grind the, the, the wheat. It was so heavy that it would either be a donkey or an oxen that would go around in a circle dragging that, that millstone around on the food, on the, on the, the produce to be, to be processed. So if you got a if you got a mill, so you know <laughs> it's not like a life vest. That millstone's taking you down, and you think of what a horrible death that would be. Guess what? That's the easy way out. According to this voice, this verse, it is better for him to have a millstone hung around him, then to face the judgment of God. The millstone and the drowning is the easy way out. Because judgment's going to come, and it's going to come from the one whose handiwork we're destroying. It's going to come from the creator of the universe, the almighty God. So if we harm one of those children, it's that we are harming Christ himself. Charles Spurgeon wrote in, wrote in the second chapter of his book, Come My Children. The, the second chapter is entitled, Do Not Hinder the Children. He's, I don't have the book, but and I don't have the entire quote. But the, the obvious lead up to this quote is, is a subpar minister. People will occasionally say of such a one, he's only fit to teach children, he's no preacher. Spurgeon says, I tell you, in God's sight, he is no preacher who does not care for the children. So you get to verse 10 in Matthew chapter 18 there, and he says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. Not to get off on another sermon about angels, but it seems to indicate that this is, might be a, a scripture reference referring to a, a guardian angel or an indication that each child has an angel. And that angel has the face of God. He's standing in the presence of God, representing that child. Who in the world am I to touch that? Can't go there. Don't go there. Won't go there. Matthew chapter 19, just over a page. 
verses 13 through 15. It says, Then some of the children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. They just didn't get it, did they? They just didn't get it. In fact, in, in, in our scriptures and the way it's numbered, we don't know exactly how many days or hours passed since chapter 18 verses 1 through 10 happened, but I don't think it was that long. Maybe a day. And they're right back at it. Children that wanted to come to Jesus, their parents wanted to bring them to, to have them to be healed or, or to be touched, to be blessed by Jesus. And the disciples are, no, get away, get away. We're already, it's too busy today. He's, he's got enough on his plate. He's got enough going on. He doesn't need to see these little kids. Get them away. Why'd you bring your kids here? That's just a bother. You're bothering Jesus. Leave him alone. Did they not just listen to chapter 18? Did they just not listen? Maybe they listened but didn't hear. It obviously hadn't hit their heart yet. You don't need to turn there, but uh, there's a parallel passage of, of the, the Matthew 18 passage and also the Matthew 19 verses 13 through 15. But if you were to look and mark this down and, and come back to it on your, on your time this afternoon or this week, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And it says that Jesus' reaction to the disciples was that He was indignant. There's a footnote in my Bible. I don't know if there is in yours, but there's a footnote in my Bible down below that it says... That's a really strong word to be using about Jesus. To say that he was indignant about something. That means he was angry. He was upset with them. Guys, just a couple hours ago, or maybe a day ago, you were asking me who was going to be great in the kingdom, and I told you that it was, if you had to, if you wanted to be, you needed to be like one of these children. Why are you shoving these children away from me? Why will you not let them come? Why will you not let the parents bring them to me? I want to see the children. I love the children. One translation translates it that Jesus was irate and he let them know it. He was irritated with them. Man, aren't you listening to what I'm teaching you? I just taught you this lesson and you're still trying to shove them away. You need to be like these children. One commentator studied this week said, even at that moment, those children were closest to, closer to Jesus than the disciples were. He meant that in a spiritual sense. Let the children alone. Do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he took the time for him. He, he didn't just... Scold his disciples, verse 15 of Matthew 19. 
After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. He, he took the time out of his busy schedule to, to spend a few moments with the children. To spend the time that they needed, that their parents needed to see that he loved their children. Why do we oppose abortion? Because we are for Jesus. And Jesus is for children. That's why we oppose abortion. Ronald Reagan put it simply, everybody who's for abortion has already been born. Pretty profound statement, eh? Everyone who's for abortion has already been born. So what now? We need to pray. We need to pray that God would humble our hearts. We need to pray that we wouldn't be arrogant. That we wouldn't point a finger. That we would try to shame those that have had an abortion. We need to pray that God would humble our hearts. We need to pray for those that have had abortions. Because truth be told, unless God has seared their their consciences, an abortion can wreck a woman's emotional life for the rest of her life. Unless she's able to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and have the love of Jesus touch her life and be in her life. We need to be informed. We need to get involved. We need to to vote for pro-life candidates at every level of government. We need to speak up. We need to not be ashamed to, to hold posters up in a rally or on the roadside. To speak up in a conversation. Yes, I am pro-life. I am for Jesus. I am for children. We need to be prepared. And and obviously a a congregation our size is limited. But we need to be prepared to, to open homes to unwed mothers. They want a chance to keep their baby. We need to open our arms. We need to support crisis pregnancy centers financially and prayerfully. We need to meet the needs of young mothers through our baby pantry and have a, have a witness and a testimony out into the community that, that we feel life is important. We're here to support you. We're here to give you help. Don't feel lost. Don't feel helpless that you can't do it if you're going to keep that baby. Was it Baby Pantry just this last Monday where there's a young woman here who's pregnant? I usually stay off to the side and keep my nose out of it. I let the ladies go about their business. But it was so precious to see him stand here with that young lady and pray with her. I believe she already has one baby. Don't know a lot of the details. Maybe some of the ladies from Baby Pantry do. Whether she's married, not married, I don't know. 
But they took the opportunity and the time to let her know that we love her, that we care for her and her baby and her other child. We, we want to support, uplift, provide, meet needs so that they won't feel hopeless, so that they don't feel that abortion is their only way out. I can't do this. It's impossible. We need to be there to love them, to pray for them. We need to be there to meet their needs. We need to be there, maybe support with funds, ready to help if a mom wants to have her baby and give it up for adoption, because she just can't see her way through it. But she doesn't want to have an abortion. Are we ready to put our money where our mouth is? Now that, that does that opportunity doesn't walk through our door every day, but I'm sure that it has happened more than once in our community. And are we there? Are we ready? Are we willing? We need to be. We need to give them an option. We need to let them know that we love them. We are not condemning them. God loves them. God has a plan for their life. Let's be willing to let him use us to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises in it. Thank you for your clear guidance on on a, a subject that can be so emotional in our society today and yet in this church. It's very clear and very plain what the answer is. Thank you for giving us the means and the ability to reach out and to help. Father, we pray that you would bring young ladies, unwed mothers, wed mothers that are struggling, that need help, that don't want to have an abortion but feel like it's their only way out. God, bring those women in our community to us that we might help them, that we might be used of you to preserve your handiwork. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for your love, and thank you for forgiveness. Romans 3.23 says that we're all sin, and, and abortion isn't at the top of any list of sins in the Bible, Father. So we know that, that your forgiveness extends to all. And just as you've forgiven us of our sins, you can forgive a a woman who's had an abortion or is thinking of one to make her whole again, Father, to, to give her a purpose and a reason for living, give her a purpose and a reason for her baby to live. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me if you